Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. On today's episode, we have overcoming abuse, childhood obesity, and changing lives at Monkey Bar Gym. This is Optical Course. Here we go. So, John, we've got uh, a good friend of yours. He w- runs and opened the gym that you're a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Monkey Bar. Monkey Bar Gym in Duncan, British Columbia. That's right. And he's a pretty incredible person. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. He's full of energy. He's got a charming British accent. Oh, man. Charm that just zits right off my back. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a nice say. image. <laughs> Nobody says that. Okay. They will. <laughs> no, they won't. I don't even want to hear you say that. Yeah. And I don't even have zits. So the joke's on you guys. <laughs> I guess. Okay. So, yeah, he's a pretty, he's quite a character. And, uh, and he's an amazing story and he comes across as one of the, like, uh, as a really confident guy who's yeah, got everything together. But sure. he, when hearing his story, I was mm-hmm. pretty blown away by some of the things that he's been through in, in the journey. Absolutely. Seeing this guy every morning and just seeing the shape that he's in and his knowledge of his industry and, you know, then finding out, which I just did, that he was obese as a child and suffers from Crohn's. I mean, it just boggles the mind. To know that he was able to overcome all that and, you know, start a gym and lead the healthy, active lifestyle that he leads. It's such an inspiration. So here we go. Simon Young, everybody. Boom. Sit back and enjoy. So yeah, I came here in 07 and then had to start my own business pretty quickly in 09. Um, You started in 09? Yeah. It was the same year I started Lush. Was it really? It was. Yeah. So weird. How did you get into yeah. Lush? Did Enough you... about you, more about me. Well, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? You're going to just, all the episodes are just going to be John's story again. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 142. <laughs> I was nine. The, the guests are just interviewing. <laughs> Tell me more about that, John. So they don't have to talk. You, you did yeah. bring it back to you last time too. I did. Yeah. yeah. It, it's something I do. It's called selfishness. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's words. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It was, it was 09. Yeah. Fall of 09. Yeah. So you started in 09. What was it called at that point? That Is was it, Real that Results. Was re- yeah. Yeah, Real I Results. I saw that right. online. I, yeah. I was kind of Googling you a little bit. I was like, what can I find on this guy? Oh, God, you'll find some terrible stuff. Yeah, nothing terrible, actually. I, was, some I really... tried. I even put like Simon Young, you know, t- you know. A serial killer and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just autofills. Auto <laughs> <laughs> so it was re- Real Results then yeah. that would have been like people just hiring you like one-on-one or did you have a place yeah. no no um the, the abridged version is i worked for a business and then via an email i didn't work for a business mm. and that was on the sunday morning and i had bills to pay you and just got let go from the business yes okay so i happened to email a friend and said do you think that you would like to come and work out with me tomorrow morning? And do you, do you know anybody mm-hmm. who would like to come and work out with me tomorrow morning right. at the local sports field? So uh, they said, well, let me see what I can do. So I show up and there are 22 people. Wow. And there's 22 people to do a fitness class with no equipment and nothing really. And those 22 people brought more people who brought more people who brought more people and on and on and on it went to the point then that after 
messing around with it for three months, I then thought, well, this is going to probably be a viable op- option. Yeah. And so hired somebody to help me turn it into a six-figure business, which happened within th- six months. Wow. What? Which was kind of crazy. And we didn't have any facility. We were uh-huh. outside. There was, n- right. there was no facility. There was nothing. And everything was, was basically a Bose stereo and a stopwatch. Yeah, of yeah. me heckling at everybody and right. people just bringing friends. Low overhead then, too. It was awesome. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> and then it got to be winter. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, it, that's where it started. It started like that. And then we got a tiny little building. Um, got, got a tiny little room in a building that's probably... The training space is probably the same sort of size as the room we're sat in. And I used to have to stand on the street with the door open because there were so many people in there and there was nowhere to stand to coach people. And there's videos that if you search around where people will come leaping into shot from out of an alcove and then disappear off out of shot again. And (laughs) and, and, and this tiny little building, but upstairs was the old squash courts. And um, uh, there was a gym in there at that point. And I knew that I wanted to move into that and and grew into there and several buildings later. So what building was that first one? That was the original squash courts in, in Duncan. So we were downstairs in there. And okay. the, the, it was a little, originally what happened was it was a gym and a squash, and like three squash courts. And then they downsized and sold off some of the units and things. And um, they, they moved the gym facility upstairs. And then the owner, wanted to kind of get rid of the gym and I wanted a space. Mm-hmm. So we did major refits and then um, a good friend introduced me to Kathleen because I needed some help. And then Kathleen and I got on really well and she did did some stuff for me in, in Shamanus and that happened. And then we realized that we liked working with each other and we didn't like anybody else that we knew. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, yeah. Only, only people who could tolerate us were us. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and, and then we just kept going. We just yeah. kept going, so it's, it's kind of cool. And then it, now we're in that awkward situation where I've trained so many people that it's, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where you can't go for milk because right. it takes hours. You go for, right. go for milk and you bump into people that you've met and or yes. you've trained or you know their yeah. kids and on and on we go, which is cool and it's great, you know, for somebody who came here and didn't know anybody. Yeah, that's yeah, you know, it's fun. What was it? Do you think that? Um that drew all those people in initially because there's a lot of competition in the fitness and training industry. So why do you think it just got popular so fast? I don't know. Well, one of the things was that we weren't conventional. We didn't do whatever. We had no equipment. I had no money. At the end of the day, I wasn't planning on... I'm a really good employee. I'm a really good employee because you know what? You you employ me and I'm going to give you everything. Because mm-hmm. that's the way I'm built. That's the way I'm made. So I wasn't looking to work for myself. And in hindsight, being fired was a good thing because I would never have worked for myself. But because then I've got this beaten into me work ethic, I think then I think then because of that, I'm willing to kind of work really hard and be honest with people but I expect that out of people as well and something resonates you know I, I apologize every day for being honest mm-hmm. you know but fitness is full of full of lies and misconceptions fitness is full it, it gyms common gyms would hate it if everybody who was a member showed up because yeah, they couldn't cope sure. mm-hmm. they couldn't cope yeah gyms 
a lot of the gym model is January, se- February, January, February, <laughs> sell you a, a membership that yeah. you're not going to use, yeah. sell you a ton of supplements yeah. Yeah. that probably don't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and sell you this thing of, oh, we, six weeks and you can have it. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Beat you into a, into the pulp, you know. In, in, we've been through that. We've been through the stage where um, it was all about how hard can you train and how much you know how much pain and misery can you put yourself through and i i, I don't think that's the way to do it and then, and i think one of the reasons why people have stuck with me is i've evolved i've edu- constantly educated myself and i've changed as a person as well from where i was at to where i am now and i'm lucky because the people who do come and work with 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 us do work hard and there's a common factor with these these folks they're not it's not their first rodeo. For many people, it, it's it's their thing of they've either tried everything else and it's not worked, or they've been fit in the past and now they're but they're older or they're injured or there's not a. It's rare to see somebody who who we work with now who's you know your spandex laden, mm-hmm. you know self-centered you just don't get it the, the common the common thought of okay what's a gym goer look like isn't the sort of people who can walk through our door mm-hmm. well and part of that is you're you're right on top of that i mean the first day i showed up in the spandex you took you took me <laughs> aside and said john we're not that kind of gym well well it was, it was the fact that you know the trauma for people well yeah that will be the worry mm-hmm. that will be the thing. trauma for some but joy for joy others, for others. <laughs> oh yes so let, let's um, step back for a second and for people kind of just trying to figure out what what you do and, and what Monkey Bar Gym is, is really like, um, why don't you just describe a little bit of it and, and describe why you decided to start something that was completely unique in, an, uh, in a place like Duncan where there wasn't really anything like it um, and, and maybe not even a market for it. Totally. So... Um, Monkey Bar Gym is actually the, the, the brainchild of a, a guy called John Hines. And John lives in Madison, Wisconsin. And the backstory for Monkey Bar is John's dad, Bobby, was a boxer. And he used to train other folks to get them fit with jump ropes and surgical tubing, resistance tubing. Mm. And that's And that's how he became successful. So he started a business called Lifeline in the US and Lifeline produced fitness equipment. So John grew up around non-conventional training. He grew up around using these jump ropes and bits of rubber tubing and and those sorts of things to get people fit. So John got into fitness and then he went off on his own journey and trained lots of um, very famous uh, sports folks and and, and, uh, famous individuals. And so that's how kind of Monkey Bar got started. I then got introduced to Monkey Bar Gym because I was looking for something different um, in about, about probably about 2008. When I got my job in 2007, when I came here to Canada, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't, we came here from the UK and the job I had in the UK didn't exist here. And um, and I had no idea what I was going to do. But people who knew me told me what I should do. Mm-hmm. 
So they they knew that I was into fitness and that I'd enjoyed fitness and they'd seen the change within me and how powerful fitness had become for me. Um, and so they told me what I what I should do. So when I got a, uh, the job at the gym, our realtor actually introduced me to the guy who owned the gym and made that nice connection. So I got a job at the gym thinking, well, I'm not fit enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm a sham, people are going to see right through me so I got a job working at the front desk I do all my exams online before we even get here but I get this job I get into it and then I start searching around for okay now I've got to learn now I've got to educate myself what am I going to do and part of that was finding Monkey Bar Gym and doing the stuff in Monkey Bar Gym so that's kind of how that came about Mm. and then starting peeling away for me, then the interesting thing of peeling away what was what was realistic, what really worked and what didn't work, and what would work for me, and what can I pass on? So I did all the conventional stuff that most people do, you know, the the normal right. thing from fitness magazines right. and do. Then there was there was a then I started following Monkey Bar Gym's workouts. They used to publish them online every day, and. They, they put up little videos every day of John describing these workouts. And and then uh, they had, I mean, back in 2000, and this is back in 2009, you know, the, the really the inter- internet didn't have these great videos and these great resources. You couldn't go out and find these things. Um, a lot of the stuff was really hokey. So we were posting on forums every day of, you know, how we did, what our numbers were, uh, it was before CrossFit really got going, so Monkey Bar Gym was at the forefront of a lot of st- stuff before CrossFit grew. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of the people that I met via these online forums and doing the Monkey Bar Gym workouts ended up being the people that I connected with to grow my business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've ended up being the people that I talk to Pretty much on a weekly basis, a lot of us talk to talk to each other, and we've all been down that same journey. We've all been that, down that route of we did the conventional stuff, but now we we find that simple's better. So, was it the difference between conventional and monkey bar? Is it philosophy? It is. Um, so, oh. mon- monkey bars about about us being pretty much being like kids, being like kids. They describe it, and John puts it really well. He describes it as being like a child in a playground. You know. Right. You, Take that sense of of interest and, and and just play with it and go with it. A lot of the time, when we when we create our own obstacles, physical obstacles, you know, I can't do this because I'm too out of shape, I'm too heavy, I'm I I've got this injury, I don't know what to do. It costs too. Yeah, it's all stories. It's all stories. When we're kids, sometimes I'll come back to this. But so when we're kids, sometimes. We don't do that. We don't put the obstacles in. We just play. So one of the things about monkey bar for us at Duncan, and we're very, each monkey bar is very different. For us at Duncan, we try to be, look, we'll meet you where you're at. We don't mind what shape you're in. We don't mind what your history is. All we mind, we care about really is, did you get in through the door? Good. You've overcome the big obstacle. You've come through the door. Now let's just see what we can do. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do and just go with it. And if it's not good, you know, as in it doesn't look right, but you're not getting hurt, don't worry. 
you're moving, you're enjoying your body. Well, and I mean, I felt that immediately. Like I joined Monkey Bar like a year and a half ago. I I hated gyms. Mm. I never went to a gym. Like I'd never been that guy who like, you know, bench press or, you know, just go to, you know, the local gym and uh, see, how much, see how much you can bench press, <laughs> you know, like totally. see how many squats you can do. Um, I hated that whole thing. I, I felt it was very egocentric. And, and so to me, that must be part of perhaps just your own personality, but also Monkey Bar's philosophy that it was just like a bunch of kids playing. Totally. Because, you know, kids, there's not a lot of ego there. You're just playing. You're running around. You're jumping off stuff. You're playing on the Monkey Bars. You're flying down the slide. You're not, am I faster than him? You know, it doesn't even come in your mind. And that's how I feel. I've been going for a year and, and I love that. I love it. I feel like I can just go at my own pace and not even worry about who's around me. And that must have been part of the fabric from the very beginning, I guess. Eh? It, it was. It was. And part of the logo, I mean, Monkey Bar Jim's logo is a person helping a person, like in his little handstand. Right. And that was part of the fabric. And that's one of the things that drew me to Monkey Bar. Um, maybe I can give you a backstory of like the why and the wherefore. Mm -hmm. um, so, way, way back in the midst of time, um, I didn't learn, I was not athletic. I didn't have athletic movement patterns. So we learn how to move when we're, when we're little tiny babies and we learn how to crawl and walk and all the bits and pieces. And there's a set order you do things in, but I didn't do things in that order. Mm -hmm. So I went from lying on the floor to walking. I didn't do crawling. So we know that it, that kids who do that, they miss a part of their development. So they end up being the kids who aren't athletic. So they don't have those great athletic skills. So I was not athletically gifted. I, I, I can't throw. I, my running's terrible. I look like I've been thrown down a flight of stairs. <laughs> you know, when I run, it looks... It, it's all a nightmare. So I've got, no, I've got no movement patterns. So when we're kids, we have a chance to do that when we're tiny we relearn it again when we're about eight years old but by the time i was eight years old i was in a different place anyway so um i never i was never athletic so because i was never athletic and always doubted my ability to use my body i think that's why monkey balls that that ethic of look we're not expecting you to be this this all-star track track and field athlete mm -hmm. we just go with where you're at mm -hmm. also i was so heavy when i was a kid that i couldn't move mm -hmm. um when i was eight years old i had a 42 inch waist that's a pretty big kid mm -hmm. um i try and do the math on how how much i weighed when i was i think roughly because there's no there's no photographs of me being over 11 years old i can't find any but I know that when I was eleven, when I was eleven years old, I was weighing around about two hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty big kid. That's a that's a kid that's got a lot of body fat, a lot of stretch marks, no self confidence, is awkward, and all those that stuff. So I don't. So I can really resonate with that person. You know, it, you mm -hmm. get, you have you have somebody that I meet. Um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're underweight or overweight. I've been underweight as well. You know, um, I've got Crohn's disease. So one of the issues with my Crohn's disease was, you know, it, 
I don't know whether you know much about Crohn's, but you know it's, it, it, it can affect you anywhere in your digestive tract. Um, and so for me, at one point when I was 20 years old, you know, I looked just like a skeleton. I was so undernourished because my body didn't absorb any nutrients. I couldn't, um, I was basically existing on mashed potato and that was about it. And then ended up having, having to be hospitalized and having a, a, an operation to remove part of my bowel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to kind of rehab all back out from that. So I've been incredibly weak. You know, I remember coming home from the hospital and said, saying to myself, oh, you know, I need, I'm, I'm going to get myself fit because I've been so unwell and so unable to do anything. Um, so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to do 10 push-ups well, just getting down on the floor and I couldn't hold my own body weight up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run to... We lived outside of a village in, in, in England and I, I said, what I'll do is I'll run down to the village and back, which is about a mile and I got to the end of my folks' yard, which was a couple of hundred yards, and I was done. <laughs> so I, I went from a, a state of being really unphysical in that way. So I've been really heavy as a kid and not physical. I was the kid that when in school, you know when you pick teams, kid they would trade other kids to not have me oh. you know we'll look we'll have only four people on our team and you can have 26 as long as you take him okay if a stray dog came into the school <laughs> you will have a stray dog instead of having him okay is that it was a it was a bad wow. deal um in phys ed the the uh, when i got to being about 14 I, I changed my mind a little bit on it so uh, i lost weight at 14 but uh you know, the, 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 my phys ed report at the end of the year said, if only his ability matched his enthusiasm. Hmm. You know, I because tr- I would at 40, if, I think one of the things at 14 and one of the things that's kind of stuck with me for a long time was, I'll outwork anybody. Mm-hmm. Something changed and I'll just, it doesn't matter. I'll just outwork you. I, and I don't mean that in an egocentric point of view. I had to do it. I, I got sick. I got sick of being, feeling sorry for myself, I think, at 14. And I, I, we think my Crohn's started at 14, so I started to lose weight. And I just got sick of feeling sorry for myself. So I started this thing of trying to outwork and work hard. But I wasn't really into fitness things, I've got to be honest. And even with my Crohn's at 20 and being underweight and... No, I, I didn't do gyms, I didn't do the gym thing. Didn't really start working out until... Probably I was, I was about 23 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, a long time. Couldn't do push-ups till my 30s. Couldn't do pull-ups till my 40s. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to dig into this a little bit more if, if you're willing because it seems like at, at that young age you were dealing with some extremely challenging circumstances and you seem now like such a gregarious, kind of outgoing, confident and like by all accounts successful person and uh, despite the fact that as a young child, you um, you had a lot to deal with. So in terms of the mental self-talk or, or kind of how you were pushing yourself through that and, and going from an unhealthy place to a healthy place, can you recount any of that at all? Totally. Um, we, we can go as, as far into this as you want or not. And so, um, so family history. My brothers are 14 and 16 years older than me. Um, dad dad worked three jobs mom brought up the family my mom worked as well um 
it was an interesting childhood um, from the point of view that mum was the disciplinarian and mum's discipline was mum would hit first and probably then question second so that's part of it yeah some, sometimes like it, you know what it just wasn't worth getting out of your PJs because you're going to be locked in your room it was just going to happen so in the morning it was as a kid I, I learned pretty quickly to control that situation so I would I would provoke the situation to make it happen because otherwise you live in dread you live in dread of okay this thing's going to happen at some point today so I'll make it happen um, my brothers and I would dis, would discuss what was the worst blah so you know, what was the worst thing you were hit with my middle brother he had the, what we think was the worst thing my mom hit him with a dog leash across his face and that's pretty, a metal and leather dog leash is pretty hard to see so that's pretty bad mm-hmm. um that said, you know, she was under a lot of stress and she didn't know how to cope and there was there's lots of reasonings for it and I'm not saying she's a bad person far from it. She didn't set out to do that and to lash out at her kids. It just kind of happened. And being, if I'm honest, being hit with something or by something is easy compared to psychological stuff. Right. I would sooner be hit with. I was hit with a. Do you guys know what a fish slice is? It's um like a spatula, like a. Right. Okay, so even in my twenties, I, I remember going for for um, a dinner at my mom's, and Lisa, my wife, was was working night shifts, so she didn't come with us. And when I got home, she looked and she went, "What's wrong with your lip? You've got a bust lip." So, and what had happened was we sat down for dinner and I said something to my brother and my brother said something back and mom didn't like it. So she hit me with this metal slice and bust open my lip and I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that is, co- I can, you can cope with that. Mm. The psychological things of being locked in your room, uh, being locked in the pantry, uh, being told that you're lazy, you shouldn't start, you know, you've got to be at get up early, that you're... I remember being told that I stank, that I smelt, and that my breath smelt. Now, and, okay, I got really good, I think I've got good levels of hygiene, but with my Crohn's disease, then there's a, theoretically, that must have been the case. But to tell a kid who's nine years old that he stinks and he's disgusting and those things resonate, those things are what wears you down. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't, it didn't build for a good open family dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we had this thing where, this topsy-turvy thing where, you know, at one minute you would be told, you know, oh, you you're terrible and things are awful and and then something else would happen and you get this this flip of the coin where everything would be fine so my mom would be like totally fine one minute and then just freaking out the next mm-hmm. and then back to being fine again mm. and you never knew where you were stood and we never knew where you were at so as a kid I learned to 
how can I control this? So I provoke it, and I, mm. and that actually made me a control control freak, pretty much most of my life. Something we talked about it was controlling things, controlling your environment. Yes. Um, so I would, for the longest time, control everything in my life. I like my closets are always color coded, and my everything I own has to be perfect and. And I, before we'd leave the house, I would have to clean the house top to bottom. I couldn't go anywhere until I do that. And I have to control my environment. And 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 so I would be an absolute control freak on everything. I think based going all the way back to when I was a kid. Going all the way back to the uncertainty of never knowing, am I going to be fine? Am I going to be hit with something or verb, you know have that psychological mess, thing messing around with me? You know, I never went on school trips. Um, we didn't have we didn't have money, so we lived. You know, we lived in abject penury, which wasn't a suburb. You know, is it, we didn't have money for for these things, but also I wasn't allowed to. I was not allowed to go and play with other kids. I was not allowed to go and socialize. So all these things. When my when my eldest brother who basically took the took my dad's role because dad was always at work my male but eldest brother left to go to and went away to go to agricultural college then I was kind of on my own um so I don't know this is all rambling this is all rambling but it, it made me quite independent I didn't sh- share things um this is going to take us down another route and so yeah and you guys can probably take out what this or this whatever you want but um so I got two siblings. Mm-hmm. My second brother, so I'm about six or seven. So my second brother used to abuse me sexually when no one else was in the house. So that is pivotal. That occurs. And as a kid at six and seven, who's told that it's fine, there's a, there's, I remember having this this moment where I knew things that no other kid of my age knew. Right. I understood things about bodies that kids, no, no other kid knew what this, understood these things. No other kids had had exposure to some of the, some of the imagery that I'd had and some, of, it just didn't exist. And there wasn't a point whereby I chose to do this, but around about that time was where I started eating a lot. And I started ballooning in weight. And it wasn't a subconscious thing of, I'm trying to trying to change my body. I think it was change of feelings, change of state. You know, I could eat because it would make me feel good and mm-hmm. something was odd and I didn't quite work it out as a kid. And so there's all this crap going on. Can't speak to my mom because you never know where the heck you stand. And also, why would you tell her? Because then you've been told not to tell. Dad's at work all the time. Older brother's not there because he's gone away to school. And so it's it's a strange scenario. It's a very strange scenario. I don't socialize with other, other kids, so it's a it's a weird one. So I don't know. You had I, no safe place. It sounds like no, 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 not at all. And so I, and I didn't actually tell. I didn't tell my folks until 
till I was about 22. I didn't discuss it with my folks. Um, and that was, that didn't go the way that I, that you would hope it would go. Um, obviously I must have brought it on myself and did they have trouble believing my eldest brother said that I'd lied mm-hmm. and I, that I made it all up mm-hmm. because and, and then and my mom told me not to tell my dad because dad had got ill health by then um, yeah and my mom said that it must have been something that I'd done and it must have been me. And so it didn't exactly go the way you think it's going to go. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny mixed bag. It's like I've lived like lots of different caveats to my life, little pigeonholes. Would you say there's any singular trait or, or combination of traits that was able to help you get through all of those different things? Denial, probably. Mm-hmm. Denial, just keep... keep I was always on an even keel emotionally. I was never happy. I was never sad. I was just in stasis all the time. Mm-hmm. I would never get involved in things emotionally. So, you know, I had a friend, a friend at school who died of leukemia, and I remember having you know, other people who were terribly upset, and I was like, eh. Mm-hmm. And it, which is terrible. That's awful. And not being, not being concerned about anything. You know, totally, totally emotionless about stuff. And it was weird because that kind of crept up on me. Looking back now, it makes sense, but that kind of crept up on me. So, in um, in a point where, I don't know, I, I really shut shut down. Really shut myself off from how I felt. And, and recognizing how I felt. I mean, that's a that's a lot of trauma for mm. for a child for anybody before before they turn twenty. So perhaps it's just some sort of self protection or could be you know could just be until you're able to start to deal with it. See that or I'm just too dumb to realize <laughs> <laughs> that could be the case. Yeah. So it seems like now you're able to speak pretty openly about mm. it and. Was was there any time that you were able to kind of work through what happened and, and you have a pretty coherent way of, of looking back at it totally. without, you know, still kind of suffering through it, which um, people who have gone through trauma sometimes can fall victim to that. Exactly. So was, was there a process for working through all of those? Yeah, um, a little bit. It kind of goes in a way back to that thing of the, what I said earlier about, you know, choosing to, the out, I'm going to outwork or I'm going to face this thing beforehand. I had a, I had a point where I realized, and this was before I, I, I spoke to my my mom about it, my brother, or before, there was a point where I realized that it wasn't so, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. There's a point where I, thinking about, about it, if I could make a joke out of it, if I could play light out of it, if I could talk about it, then I, it wasn't as scary. Take the monster out of the closet. You know, I didn't, I didn't set out to cure myself or fix myself or heal myself or whatever. But what I would do was I would actually make joke a joke out of, you know, when I was a kid, I had a hand-shaped birthmark. 
I used to drag my leg behind me thinking I was lame for years because of being beaten. But, you know, so I would I would joke about it and, and or I'd make jokes about my weight or I would make jokes about my stretch marks so I'd look like, you know, like an ordinate survey map or I, I'd just make jokes about stuff all the time because then I can control it. If I talk about it, I disempower it. And I learned that and I there was no point. There's not a point where I go, you know, oh, there's a moment of light to where I think that's where I chose to change and to own it. It's that just sort of kind of crept up on me. I talk about it, or I, or I, I just kind of deal with it. I'm not gonna wallow in my own self pity because, in comparison to what some people that I know have done and been through, nothing. Well, it's a big, as big a deal as you make it. Right? It totally it, it, is. Our own experience is, is what we make of it. Totally. And I really respect the the kind of mentality that you've taken and um and not allowing those things to just be repressed, but to to bring them out and to to joke about them and, and have control over them. Mm. People who have gone through trauma at times will just repress and keep it all secret and bottled up and then it it stays within you. And it's not until it's brought out and, and dealt with that it's actually not still a huge factor in in our lives so uh yeah i really respect that that um that outlook one thing that just came to mind was a lot of your childhood was was kind of lost or or at Mm -hmm. least taken away or or not um not as one would maybe like it to be and and now you've started monkey bar where you you get to kind of just play and I'm, I wonder if there's any kind of connection with that inability to really go out and play like a normal child and now starting something which encourages others to do it and, and you can kind of engage in that as well. Totally. It, uh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you see that. I'm, I'm reminded on a daily basis of, of, of that. You know, that's, that's why we, we, we talk about, you know, look, we'll beat you where you're at. We'll go with that. Um I strongly believe that people resonate to to like-minded people, or and and sometimes you can be drawn to people without really knowing why. But you have this affinity, this understanding, um, and there's a commonality with groups when you start looking at them. And with Monkey Bar, the commonality, you know, that we we got people who are working through their own issues, people who are working you know, with PTSD, people who've had terrible things happen to them as kids, people who have come from ill health, people, all these things I can associate with. But I, and I, sometimes it's interesting that in a moment of, of kind of reflection, I think, I wonder if these people subconsciously, you know, resonate with me because they recognize something. Mm-hmm. so people listening to this podcast can't see it thank god but I'm covered in tattoos I've got a lot of tattoos mm-hmm. I, a lot of them cover my stretch marks and all these pieces but on my back are what are called capola and so they're Russian prison tattoos and so um, basically Russian prisons um, used to be in the old um, in in the old churches and monasteries and at the top of the churches and monasteries um, of, well, like cruciforms, crucifixes, mm-hmm. and things. And so, in Russian prison t- tattoo terminology, 
these cupola, these the the the, the, the cruciforms mark time. And so on my back, I've got tattoos of these cupola on my back, and I got one for every seven years because bizarrely things happen in sevens, mm-hmm. which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so like going back to like these things, you know, seven years old. That's the thing with my my sibling brother and and starting to get heavy and all those sort of things. At fourteen, my Crohn, we think my Crohn's disease right. starts. Social inadequacy starts. You lose weight. All those bits and pieces. Twenty-one, I get married, which is like the best. That's it. Don't even get like that's a whole new podcast. It's like oh, <laughs> yeah. that. That's the, the the best part. Dad dies when I'm twenty-eight, um, so I didn't really because Dad worked a lot. Didn't really know my dad until he had to retire early with ill health. Then got to know my dad, and having a relationship with my dad, where my dad said things that now I think, God, he was a smart man. He was a smart, funny, hilariously funny, really quiet guy. Did wasn't a social guy. So when dad, my my dad dies, that's a big pivotal point. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons for emigrating, my dad died. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be my dad. My dad had always worked. My dad had provided, 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 provided. He'd not done the things in his life that he wanted to do. My dad was passionate about, about, had interests in certain things that he'd never pursued. He'd never done. 35 were here. You know, and yeah, and on we go down, you know, right way up to you know, I'm 49 years old. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on this podcast. So thank <laughs> God I've had a tattoo for that. <laughs> you know, but all these things, these things all all happen. You know, and, and they kind of all lead together. So, in hindsight, I can look back and go, oh yeah, all these things led me to this point. All these things made me who I am now, and so I shouldn't be remorseful of them I, I don't look at anything that I've that I don't regret anything all the stupid stuff I've done and I've done some really stupid stuff like yeah, I got tell I, us the stupidest how about it's dark it's raining <laughs> yeah you cross the road the road is six lanes wide and you get hit by a vehicle and the vehicle's traveling between 40 and 45 miles an hour. That's pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. So, um, yeah. That's a that's a game changer. That was 28. That was 28 years old. What were you driving? I was I was a pedestrian. Oh, you <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I agree. That was pretty stupid. I agree. Yeah, so so um what was the real real rehabilitation like for that? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, um were you in a rush? Like what? Yeah, what was on the other side of the road? What was oh, going on there? Was, there, was there a chicken? Or? Oh my god! Yeah, just like. <laughs> well, I'm I'm in, I'm in English. Somebody was giving away pound notes. I was going to have one. <laughs> <laughs> if something's free, I'm going to have it. Yeah. Um, that evening, I'm training, and Lisa takes a call from her friend, and her friend's having a miscarriage, and she says, "Look, we got to go. We got to go to this friend." But we've got to go to the store and then we've got to get a move on and we've got to go take a bus to go to this friend's house. 
we come out of the store and we're between two lights, two, two kind of four ways. And it's on a hill. And I remember looking left and right and both lights were on red. And we set off and the bus is on the opposite side of the road. So we set off from the curb to get across to the bus because that's the bus we need. The bit that I don't see, but you get from the other camera angle, is the guy coming from the town who anticipates the lights are going to change. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't slow down. The lights do change, so he's still driving at the speed that he chose to drive at, which in a, it was a 30 mile an, mile an hour zone, and he was going at 40 to 45. So he sees me at the last minute. It's raining. He's going above the speed limit. There's, there's a bus, so he can't go left. There's traffic the other way, so he can't go right, so he has to go straight on. And there's this idiot stood there in the way. <laughs> so what do you do? It hits me. My knee gets hooked into a... The guy had um, a little bull bar on the front. Um, my knee gets hooked into the bull bar. Um, if it wasn't there, I would have rolled to one side over the hood, over the fender, which is how it's supposed to happen. But it doesn't. It hooks my knee, throws me up the vehicle. I headbutt the windshield, shattering mm. the windshield. Mm. So they, they get me to the hospital, and all I know is my leg hurts. But that's it. I'm in a neck brace, which is kind of awful because... You want to move and you want you feel fine. The adrenaline's great and all this kind of stuff. And, and I've got this major cut on my head where, it, I mean, it looks like I'm receding now, but basically I've got two pieces missing on either side of my hair, hairline from where it took, I took out all the hair. I put my, sc my scalp mm -hmm. and stuff. And so they run lots of tests and they say, my God, you're really lucky. You were hit by a car. <laughs> And your legs intact. You've got two big gashes on your head, and you've got friction burns, but you're fine. You're the luckiest guy. They think that that because I cycled a lot and stuff, I got that much muscle in my leg. That was probably what saved my leg. Mm. You're so lucky. We're you know we're going to let you go home. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. Okay, so so I I go home and I get a cane that my that. To, to walk around on them and we spend a week walking around on, on this leg and, and you know and doing stuff and okay my head's all stitched up and you know I I, I look a, a freaking mess you know <laughs> I've got I've got like you know uh, friction burns all over my face and all you know and all my back and then I'm hobbling around and all this but I'm fine I'm lucky and I go back to the outpatients uh, a week later to be checked and I sit on the I sit on the the, the bench and the doctor comes in and he, he takes a look at me and he goes something's wrong with your leg and so I look down and that, this has been a week I've not noticed and so I, I look at my right leg which was the fine leg the normal leg and it's all muscular like you'd expect a cy you know, guy who cycles mm. a lot every day and I look at my other leg and it it looks like I have no muscle at all on my leg it's flat mm. and that's in a week and so he says something's wrong with your leg we're going to go and get you x-rayed so they go and x-ray my leg and during um, bizarrely 
the week in the week that I'd walked around it, I had taken this leg and what looked like it was an intact bone now looked like it was the night sky. So they say, uh, you know, we're going to probably have to, you know, deal with this now. <laughs> so they, so my leg is reconstructed from the knee down. So the tibia is reconstructed by a combination of my hip bone. So they took, they removed part of my hip bone, grafted that back on and put pins and plates into my leg. In the interim, my bike, bicycle's stolen from the house that we live in. Because <laughs> it's England, we'll steal. It's, it's an English thing. It's a pastime. You know, moaning about the weather, drinking and stealing things. That's what we seem to do. Um, so my bicycle's stolen. <laughs> Which is doesn't seem like a big deal, but you know, for me, rehabbing, I want to get back on my bike because mm-hmm. it's part of what, mm-hmm. what I yeah. do. And I go, to, so I go to my my first physical therapy session, and they say, you know, you're really lucky, because you, you're a young guy and you're fit and you're healthy, and you know, the, the surgery went really, really well. But just so you know. You're not going to cycle again. You're not going to run again. You're not going to jump, and you're always going to walk with a limp. But apart from that, you're really lucky. So you, it's like great. So I'm twenty. I'm twenty two, twenty three. My bike's been stolen. I got this grafted up leg. I'm not going to. I can't do anything. I'm always going to walk with a limp. And as I get older, going to have arthritis. It's going to be. T- Thanks for painting that picture on day one. Thanks a bunch. So I come home and I talk to Lisa and Lisa goes, okay, so we'll deal with it. It'll be fine. Did you feel the heaviness of that? Yeah. Like, were you totally devastated? I'm, I'm laughing because Lisa says one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting hit by that car. <laughs> okay. Because I was so immersed in make money, provide for mm-hmm. us, be emotionless, mm-hmm. be on an even keel, don't rock the boat. Get hit by this vehicle, and all of a sudden, like everything changes. You know, I because I had to deal with with emotions because what happens? You know, I had to rely on Lisa to get me around. I couldn't. So you lost some of that control. Oh, good God, yeah, yeah. You know, I I had to walk everywhere on crutches and all that sort of stuff. I joined the rehab and. I still had control when I walked around on a broken leg and a stick. That was fine. I could still control that. <laughs> but once that was taken away from me, then everything. Mm-hmm. And there was a depression that came with it. Mm-hmm. Because then, like, I can't control everything. I've got to rely on other people. I've got to ask for help, mm-hmm. which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so God, Lisa, takes me, at, you know, takes me to the store to get the groceries and, 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 mm-hmm. uh, and encourages me to do things. One of the best things was they tell me I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to ride a bike, and you're not going to run, and you're not going to do these things, and then my bike's stolen. So what does Lisa do? Goes and buys me a brand new bike, <laughs> which is like, that's great, awesome. So what? So what do I do? I ride my bike to to the Fizz Rehab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have to be this thing. You don't have to be the story somebody else tells you. Honestly, you don't don't have to be. A, if you want to be a victim, you can be a victim. But you don't have to be. Maybe that's a change point. If I don't change, if I don't change this circumstance, if I don't 
create this, then this is, the alternative is worse. But that's great news, right? Because you you always have power to change. Totally. Right? But you have Even to when you feel yourself. empowered, you yeah. still, no one can take that from you. No, not at all. But yeah. the, you always have that moment of, even when you understand, even when you have the tools of being able to empower yourself, mm. you've always got to be aware of the disempowering voices. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're all, it's all constantly there. I don't think that anybody has it sussed totally. I think you develop the tools to be able to recognize, ah, mm-hmm. that's that old pattern or that's me telling myself that I'll just stay here where it's safe. Mm-hmm. I'll just do this thing because, or I can't do that because. And so one of the empowering things is being able to recognize it. You know, noting and naming, you know, the thing of, I could never do that because, well, why not? If not you, who? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, people do incredible things every day and they're regular people like you yeah, or exactly. me. You know, if if... I've had a mentor say to me before when I would say some of those old things, he would say, that's little John talking. It's true. Big John needs to talk. It's true. You know, it's and, true. and we all have that, you know, little part of our voice that tries to bring us down, keep us safe, make, keep us in victim mode. Yes. Right. Yeah. And big, big John or big Simon has to show up and say, nope. Yep. I have a choice and I will not do that. Exactly. You know, and, You've got to be honest with yourself, and if you're not, if you're not honest with yourself, there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to dig down a bit, mm-hmm. get too awkward, get too uncomfortable. One of the one of the things I I used to do with personal training clients when they wanted to change for whatever reason, you know, whether it's you know your goals to to be fit and healthy when you've want, when you've not been fit and healthy before or whatever it is, okay, you've got to dig down for the reason. Sit down with a piece of paper. Right. And start writing the reason why. And don't settle. Don't settle for the first thing. Keep digging. Peel the onion. Okay, mm-hmm. so when I was diagnosed with depression, <laughs> another reason for having a capola on my back. Um, so I, I I went back into like to working lots and lots of hours mm-hmm. and having a lot of pressure at work and managed to work myself into such a state and didn't know where I was at and couldn't deal with my emotions and all that sort of stuff. And putting my relationships in jeopardy. And so deciding to go and see my doctor who says, yep, you know, you've got depression, old, old chap. And so here's all these meds and go and take these meds. And coming home and looking at all the side effects to the meds and going, well, the side effects are worse than the depression. So why am I going to do that? I'm actually realizing now and at the time I realized that it wasn't depression, it was anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was that strung out. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety came from the stories I was telling myself. Mm-hmm. I was creating all this anxiety for myself. I've got to do all these things. I've got to earn this amount of money. And I've got to do work these number of hours. And I've got to be this perfect husband. And I've got to be this perfect friend. And I can't do this. And I can't, I've got to do that. All these things were stories and the reality I was creating for myself, and it was stupid. So it was just this stupid scenario of, you know, not not dealing with things, not recognizing things. So, th- 
that was the change point. That was the point with the, I want to emigrate. I don't want to be my dad. Mm. I don't want to, I don't want to die cleaning the bathtub like my dad did. Not doing the things I wanted to do in my life. Always at work. And, and that was my rock bottom. My rock bottom was actually then. That was my, I could have lost everything by being, mm. by, by lying to myself, mm-hmm. by not recognizing what was important, by being in denial, using all those tactics that we, you know, all those tactics of not, not dealing with things in the past, thinking that I had and thinking I'd come to terms with them, but had I really? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot happens. So, uh, you know, so 2007 is when we came to, when we emigrated to Canada. But a lot happens very quickly. You know, we put the, the house on, I, we put the house on the market. I deal with the depression, stroke, anxiety. I increase the amount of physical fitness that I'm doing as part of that. Instead of taking the meds, I get into physical fitness. But then... By leaving England at that point, burning that bridge, mm-hmm. not going back, coming to Canada and being a new person mm-hmm. in my regards, choosing that, okay, when I get to Canada, I'm going to be this new person. I'm going to do this different thing. And I'm not, I'm not a new person in denial of myself. I'm probably the person that I should always have been, just not ignoring it anymore. Does, mm-hmm. does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and, and now you're at a point where you've pieced those things together mm. and you're able to give back to, to others and, and really help them transform and go through that similar process of, of having things in pieces and shattered and, and you know, maybe it's their fitness, maybe it's their mindset, maybe totally. it's their, their holistic health. And, and you are now playing a role where, where you're helping them really build for the future that that you've created for yourself. Well, yeah, but I I meet these incredible people who do incredible things, and that makes me go, you know what? That's that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm so lucky to have this chance to have turned that around. You know, it, somebody will struggle to actually, you know, get in and out of a chair, and that within several weeks they'll be doing body weight squats, for example. Okay, mm. but it, it's an incredible thing. In which you, we're kinetic beings. If you start to move, things happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it doesn't have to be perfect. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Both Andrew and I are huge fans of um, a guy by the name of Joseph Campbell. He, mm-hmm. He's written the mm-hmm. the Hero's Journey, mm-hmm. and basically to sum up, you know, thousands of pages in, into a couple seconds, he basically the Hero's Journey is we go through a process in which we die to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We die to the person we used to be, just Mm -hmm. exactly what you described. And then um, we learn something on that journey, and then we bring it back to the world for the purpose to bring salvation to the world, to to help other people. Yes. And just listening to you for the last couple hours, I mean, you you have done that. I mean, you have exactly that you've taken... um, You've gone through, I mean, trials and, and tribulations and things that could have, you know, knocked anyone down for the count. You've gotten back up, you've dealt with them, and now you've, you're bringing it back to people and helping them do the same thing. You're, you're literally doing the journey that we're all called to do. And I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing. I mean, it's just been so inspiring to, to see that. Um, and, and one of my big takeaways is just 
no excuses. You, you, you could have had 10 legitimate excuses and, and we could say, yeah, fair enough. But you, you would not allow for that. And, and so I, I think a big takeaway, even for me just listening to you is, I mean, you can, you can have no excuses in your life. I mean, if you want to, if you want to be a whole person and complete, you know, the hero's journey, as mm. Joseph Campbell talks about, you have to leave it all, leave all the excuses there and move forward. I agree. And, I agree. and thank you so much for articulating what that looks like. Uh, it's just very inspiring. And it's very much a mindset choice. And you, and you talked a lot about choice, which I really appreciate as well. And I'm wondering if, uh, just before we wrap up here, do you have any kind of tools or techniques that can allow people to to shift mindset, whether it's a, a daily routine or, or something that they can do in order to kind of have that no excuses approach. Totally. Tools are like a pair of shoes. You've got to find the right fit. Okay. So there's lots of things. And if something doesn't work, be tenacious. Keep trying things. Keep trying things that will allow you to find yours. You've got to save yourself. Okay, you can get all the tools, but don't rely on somebody else to use them for you. You've got to save yourself. Everything you need is inside you. All you've got to do is find it. Find the reason why. Find the tool that's going to help you. And just go with it. And it's it's simple, not easy. Okay. But you can do it. Thank you so much, Simon. What a what a wonderful morning we had. Um, I, I I feel like I could do everything now ten times better. So thank you. Yeah, much appreciated, and uh, and I think we'll we'll probably be having this conversation uh, again at some point, and and bringing you back in. And, Love to have you back. Thanks yeah. very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. You've been very gracious. A pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Till next time. Well, that's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate your time and attention. If we can make one request, please subscribe. How do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. Where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on Mm -hmm, for sure we're always looking for good people thanks for listening keep pushing through those obstacles